if you got your Bibles, go to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 119. Psalms 119. Psalms 119, we're going to start at verse 9. 119 verse 9. When you get there, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, speak, speak clearly, God. Allow us to hear your word and to be instructed by it. Truly let us see really what it is that you have revealed and how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lately we've been talking about sin. And to go back a little bit, we tried to define what sin was. And we took a couple of of the words that the Bible used for sin to, to try to grasp the definition of it. And words being sin, transgression, iniquity, all of those are various words, wickedness, evil, to try to get an understanding of what sin was. And we came to the conclusion that sin is a rebellion against God. It's straight out disobedience against the rules, the standards, and the commandments of God, but it goes deeper than that. That sin is also a corruption of what it is that God has made. That sin is a perversion. That it is a twisting of the way and the order that things are supposed to be. Like we gave an example of sex. God created sex. He made it. It has purpose. It has uses. It has benefits. And it's something that God glories in. But when we twist it from the way that God has created it and the way that he desired it to be used, that what makes it sin. A sin is a perversion. Then we also talked about that sin is a corruption. That is a decay that happens to something. It's something that goes on within us that causes us not to truly be what it is that God has created us because we have been defiled. We have been corrupted. Our systems don't function the way God created them to be. And that's the iniquity that we have. Just that evilness, that badness, that pull, that draw towards wickedness and towards evil that makes us not what we were created to be. And in that, we talked about how sin is not just the acts that we do. It's not just movements and feelings and things that go on in us, but it's a power. It's an entity. It's something that, that, that can grab hold of us. And as a power and as an entity, it's something that has power. Jesus talks about whom, he who commits sin is a slave to sin because there's a power to sin. It overtakes you. It can control you. And it'll make you do things that you do not want to do. And it'll take you places that you do not want to go because there's a power to sin. But also there is pleasure to sin, which increases the power. That sin just ain't this bad, bad thing like they do on the cartoons where all the evil people just always ugly. See, they do that on purpose on the cartoons because they try to teach kids the difference between good and evil. But sin don't quite look like that. It don't always show up with an ugly face. It's something that has pleasure. It's something that pleases us. It's something that delights us within, which increases its power. But we also said lastly that there's a punishment to sin. It stings. It bites at the end. So sin has power, it has pleasure, but there's punishment connected to it. And so last week we got to talking about what should be our response to sin. And our initial response is based on the way that God feels about sin. So a couple of weeks ago we were talking about how God hates sin. Our psalm said that God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible talks about how God's ears is not hard, that he can't hear, but our sins separate us from, from God. So sin creates separation between God. It brings the hatred and the wrath of God. It makes us be in a state where we are rejected by God. That's just the reality of it. It's not something to play with. So we talked about how our response should be that we don't hide our sins. We confess it. We open up, we be straight up, and we be playing with it. And that we don't justify our sins. We don't make excuses for them. 
We don't try to explain why we did what we did. Understand that you are evil. That's why you did what you did. And also, lastly, we say that understanding, not justifying and not hiding, we run away from every appearance of it. That we don't play with sin. We don't allow ourselves to be in situations and places that can suck us into temptation. Jesus commanded us to watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. So the guard is you put up a guard around yourself to keep yourself from even being in a predicament that you can be tempted, that you can enter into sin. So now today we're going to talk about a little bit more about what is our relationship to sin. What does the Bible say about me if I'm a believer in my relationship to sin? And to get in there, we're just going to look at a couple of passages, walk through a couple of them and just pull out a couple of points. But before we get there, this is the fundamental question. Do we believe the Bible? Is the word of God true? Now we at church, so the supposedly answer is yes. We all believe the Bible. I'm saying that while we here. But in reality, is that true? And the reason I ask that question is because sometimes the Bible says some strange things. And sometimes the Bible speaks things about us that does not line up with the echo that we have in our heart. And a lot of this echo comes from the corruption that we get from sin. Sin defiles us. It distorts our thinking. It distorts our view and our perceptions of ourselves so we can't see and understand clearly. We demonstrated that with Saul. How Saul was in this mess and he disobeyed God flat out. But in his mind, he did everything the Lord told him to do. It's because our minds have been corrupted. Our minds, our way of thinking has been messed up. And so what we need to train ourselves to do is truly believe what it is that God has said. And as we go through this, I'm going to test you a little bit to see, do we believe the Bible? Let's start off with, we'll just read this little passage in Psalms. I ain't going to get too heavy in it, but I just like it. It always stick out to me. Starting in verse 9, it says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart have I sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your words. This is, this is beautiful. This is David's declaration about his position with the word of God. But it opens up with the question, how can a young man cleanse his ways? So how is it that me, a young man, can purify myself, can rid myself of all the corruption of sin? And he answers this question by taking heed thereto unto your word. That's deep. Let's let's just think about that for a moment. That it's possible for me to purify myself just by taking heed to what God wrote in a book, that get be pretty deep. And the concept of taking heed ain't just listening, ain't just hearing, it's obeying or living according to it. Y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying? So I got struggles. I got impurities. I got weakness. I got infirmities, things that mess up my mind. I can't live the way I'm supposed to live. David says it's possible for you to purify yourself, to cleanse your ways by taking heed unto the word of the Lord. How deep does this go? Think about how deep does this go? So we can easily understand it. When we got a young man, let's say he be stealing. I had a brother stealing all the time. He got a compulsion to steal. We sit the brother down, bring him to church, 
teaching about Jesus. He repeat after the preacher and he supposedly gets saved. Then we tame him and we give him the Bible and we tell him that, hey man, we don't steal. We work hard with our hands that we can have stuff to give. We don't take, we give. And a brother get disciplined. He start reading the Bible, going to study, and he stops stealing. He get a job, work good, hard job. He get to paying the tithes that they tell him in church, and just giving out to people. To us, that easily makes sense. Like, hey, yeah, this brother learned something. He learned he was supposed to steal. He learned that God made him better than that. Especially if we get down deep with our woke folks. I'm saying you royalty, you a king. I'm saying, I'm saying, uh, we teach them all that food. <laughs> and we can understand that. That a brother can read that you ain't supposed to steal. God hate thieves. Thieves gonna have their part of the lake of fire and he stops stealing. But let's just say this young brother had been through some hard things in his life. And thinking about a young man I, I, I spoke to at work. This brother lost his virginity to his auntie. Messed his whole mind up. And I worry about him because he think it's cool. And the reason I worry about it is because one day he's going to have a little niece or nephew or something like that. And if you think it's cool for it to happen to him when he's 10, 11, 12 years old, chances are when he get a little lonely, he's going to try it again. Because that's what his auntie was. A little lonely at home keeping her nephew. And defiled and messed this boy up. Now his whole perception of relationships has been altered. That's the type of defilement and corruption that we don't see quite how this take heed. Does it go that deep? Does it go to the type of emotional, emotional hurt that can color the way a man see life completely? Because he's been corrupted, because he's been defiled, can the word of God cleanse that? Does it happen to that kind of hurt? And we all have experienced some type of trauma, some type of thing that just messed up our whole world. Those moments in our lives that we will never forget. Those moments in our lives that those people see us smiling, those people see our pictures on Facebook and we look good and we have fun, that when we get lonely times, we weep. Those times that we, 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 we can't even accept hugs, some ladies. Because there's hurt and there's pain that go into it. And sometimes you see them, you try to get a little hug and they, they cringe a little bit. Because they can't be open and tell you that I don't like for men to touch me because of what happened to me. But it, it, but it, it shows through the very way that they express themselves. Can the word of God cleanse you from that kind of hurt? Does the Bible have the ability to purify you to that degree that you can be totally free? That's the question that we're going to mess with. Because we understand that the, 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 I'm saying that outward stuff. We understand that you can read a little bit and you can realize that you need to stop cussing people out so you make up Make-believe cuss words. <laughs> saying you just cuss people out in a different way. <laughs> it's all the same thing. Gosh darn it. You know what I'm saying? Y'all just new cuss words. We understand that type of stuff. The Bible can help you with that type of stuff. But does it help with the corruption, with the draw, with the lust that dwells within inside of our heart that colors and transforms our whole way of viewing? And that's what we're going to stick it. We're going to point, just point little fingers and see, do we truly believe the Bible? Go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. Let's start in verse one. Just, just read a little bit. So what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein it? Uh, do you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we be now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lived, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a beautiful passage. Paul opens up with the question, what shall we say then? And the reason he asked this question is because in chapter 5, he's going back and talking about how we've been freed from the law and that salvation is just purely through faith alone. And that is this gift of God called grace that comes in and we don't need the law. And people, then the question is, well, since we don't need the law, can we live however we want to live? And that's where you get the questions from. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And I love this. Verse 2 says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So this is Paul's conception or the basis of the springboard for everything else he's saying. So we, if we're in Jesus, if we believe in Jesus, say we have died to sin. Like what does that mean? Just think about it. We died to sin. So since we died to sin, that means the connection of the relationship that I once had with sin no longer exists. So we talked about the fact that sin has power. It has dominion. It has the ability to dominate those who participate in it. So sin was led you alone. It had you doing whatever you wanted to do or whatever it wanted you to do, and you couldn't stop it. Like you people, we see people, we call it compulsion and, and impulses. Well, they're just a compulsive person. That's just a sinful person. So sin made you lie. And when the time you start talking, you started lying. All the way up until you was a grown person and you were telling your own children not to lie. And you be in the moments where you lie before you, you realize you had said something. It just happened. Like you didn't even realize you were talking. You like, man, I just lied. Like, why you lie? I don't even know. <laughs> I'm saying, they asked me what color my car was. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> it's stuff like this it just comes out but what he's saying is now we're dead to sin so death equals separation so there's a separation that has taken place between us and sin we're no longer connected so if I'm no longer connected to sin sin no longer has power over me now the strange question is do I believe that and that's where the rubber meets the road. Do I really believe that? Do I believe that once I place my faith in Christ Jesus, I died to sin? Meaning that the relationship between me and sin has been severed. And this is where we really need to take heed to what David said. I meditate on your word. I study your precepts. I will declare them day and night. Because this is where we get to practical living. Because we got this way up here. And we can quote this thing. That I'm dead to sin. No longer shall I live therein. 
But then when you ask you about your real life, you'd be like, man, we all going to be sinners. Ain't nothing we can do about that. Do you believe the Bible? Do we believe that the relationship we had with sin has been severed? It's no longer there. It no longer has power over me. So when I feel impulses within me that sounds like the same old sin that I'm used to, that should be a register in my mind that something's wrong. You can't tell me what to do. We ain't connected no more. It's like I used to have this supervisor when I worked at KB Toys, throwing boxes on the truck. The dude, I ran out, I broke, so I was trying to get it. Any and everything that they were telling me to do, I was doing. I was loading trucks. I was pulling boxes. I was out there driving the, the trucks, putting them on the dock. I was doing it all. It was sometimes in the day, I'd be them put the truck on the one, took the boxes off the truck, pulled it off, put it back to the other bay, and load the new boxes on there. All, I'm saying, getting it. Every time he say, do something, we need something. I'm in that box. What you need? I got it. And if he tell me, I need you to stop loading that truck, go upstairs or running on up there. Just like that. Straight getting it. But one strange thing happened one day. People stopped buying toys from the store. <laughs> Some, it, people stopped buying toys from the store. And KB Toys started disappearing slowly. They were closing up a thousand stores, 200 stores. And them, them trucks were getting smaller and smaller. And it will be days well, I leave home at 6 o'clock in the morning and be back home by 10 o'clock. My wife, what you doing here? <laughs> Ain't no more work, baby. <laughs> I'm saying I loaded, unloaded, clean, swept the floor. I did it all, baby. Ain't nothing they wouldn't let me stay around no more. <laughs> they told me I need to go on. <laughs> so I had to figure something out. You know what I decided? I ain't banging with KB no more. KB dead. <laughs> That's over with. And I left. And one of the managers around us, we good people, could get me to do anything. I ran into this dude. Ran into him at the barbershop. Hey, how you doing? What's going on, man? We doing our thing. We, we hitting it up. And I realized it was a long wait. Both of us waiting. didn't feel like sitting in the shop. He was about to make a little run. And his voice and his tone changed. Because he used to tell me, hey, Go over there and do such and such and such and such. But now we at the shop. He had to ask me. He was like, hey, do you feel like riding with me? Going around a little thing, help me out, get a little something. And at that moment, I had a decision to make. Because our relationship didn't change. He can't tell me what to do no more. <laughs> I'm saying I severed that thing. I left KB. So it don't matter what he say, he can't make me do nothing. And there's no impulse in me driving me to do anything he tell me to do. I could tell him, dog, dog, you go move that stuff yourself. <laughs> I had the power to say that because the relationship changed. And if the Bible be true, once we feel the motions of sin within us, you got the power to say that because the relationship has changed. You dead to it. It don't have any more power over you. There's a separation that has taken place between you and sin. It's an outside thing that's asking for, asking for your permission. But where the rubber meets the road is we don't believe that. 
We're thinking that when we feel those emotions, when we feel those impulses, when we feel those desires, this is who I am. I'll never be anything other than that. But do you believe the Bible? Because the Bible say you dead to it. The relationship has been severed. It no longer has power over you. That's why Paul made this great statement. I love it. That's why I like reading King James. We don't use these words no more, except folks in the country. He said, reckon yourselves, therefore, to be dead to sin. So since when you died to Christ and you was raised in the newness of life, you got a whole new relationship. There's a whole new you that has been created. And the relationship you got to sin has been severed. So therefore, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. What he's saying is, calculate it. Think about this thing. And you need to come to the conclusion that you and sin no longer be together. You don't go with sin no more. Block his number out your phone. (laughs) Are you understanding what I'm saying? You need to reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. And the strange thing is, we don't see the Bible as being an intellectual thing. But Paul tell you, think about it. You died with Christ. Christ died to sin. And he never lived to it again. You with him. So the same relationship Christ has with sin, you got it. Now, how many of us believe that Christ is in heaven struggling with sin? Don't nobody think that. You think that? Well, you're wrong. (laughs) Christ ain't in heaven struggling with sin. Matter of fact, the Bible says he triumphed over sin, making a show out of it. So in, in, in contemporary language, he stunned on sin. I'm saying he put it to shame. That's the relationship you got with it. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? And let's look a little bit, a little bit more. I watch how this thing get a little bit deep. In verse 12. Since you're dead to it, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments unto righteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Let me read 14 again. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin should what? Not have dominion over you. So how much power does sin have over you? None. Zero. So how much liberty do you have to do what God wants you to do? All of it. Finish the thing on out. What then? Shall we sin because we do because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves who obey you are that one slaves whom you obey? Whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sins, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. That's deep. You were what? Slaves to sin. That's what you used to be. But now you are what? Slaves to righteousness. So let's think about this thing. Let's try to get it all the way out on the ground level. So it's some stuff that we did. How many of us been here? Secretly raise your hand. Secretly raise your hand. Well, you went to church, especially when you were younger, 
You know what I'm saying? The, the message got you. You were crying and doing all that little stuff. Then the man told you to come up front. You came up front, raised your hand, repeated after that preacher, signed that card, and did all that little stuff. And you deep, and you tears in your eyes. I'm going to make a change. You start making all them promises to God. And then it, it became like Wednesday. And you weren't crying no more. <laughs> and the goosebumps had left. I'm saying you you tried to listen to Don McCurk and we fall down, but we get up, but you didn't get emotional this time. It was a boring little song. You end up turning it off. And Sunday it was hitting, it was banging, it was the joint. It's Wednesday, it don't work the same. And the next thing you know, by eight of them ten things you said that you weren't gonna do no more because you believe in Jesus and you say then you end up doing them again. Then you feel bad and you stop going to church because you're shame. Then you end up going back. Then you start the whole cycle over again. Secretly raise your hand if you've done that before. Most of us have done that. And it's because no matter how hard you tried, it seemed like there were some things in you that just happened before you was even conscious of it. Like, and we, we teach children, like, man, you need to think before you act. You don't even do that. <laughs> so you, you don't. So how you going to tell them? Because there's some things that you just do before you even realize it. And those things, nine times out of ten, end up being wrong and being sinful because you are a slave to it. And what Paul is saying is, just like you were a slave to sin, now you are a slave to righteousness. Do we believe the Bible? What does that mean? So just like there are impulses in us once we're young and we're growing up that pushes us towards sin, no matter what we do before we even think about it, we're doing wrong. There should be impulses in us that pushes us towards righteousness because now it owns us. That's the parallel that he gives. So your default setting was to go off on your wife because you're an angry man. That's that sin in you. But it's Scripture be true, it's possible for your default setting to be humbling and have a soft answer that turns away wrath. Instead of saying, woman, what you said? <laughs> saying, you, you can speak humbly and clearly and shut your mouth and say, hey, baby. <laughs> can we talk about what, what that is you're talking about right now? That's possible. Do we believe the Bible? Because more than possible, that's the way it's supposed to be. Because you once were a slave to sin, so you had to do what it told you to do. But now you're a slave to righteousness, which means you should be doing what it tells you to do. But the way our mind works to show that we don't believe the Bible, we think we're still slaves to sin, and we just got to fight and drag the chains to try to obey Jesus. Because sin is the strongest thing in our lives. So when we get an idea of what we're supposed to do, our default setting is I can't do that. But I'm going to try real hard because the Bible said. And we drag and we, we try to force ourselves to fit into this thing. That shows you don't believe the Bible. Because if the word of God be true, there should be something in you pushing you, compelling you, driving you towards righteousness. Because you once were a slave. You ain't no slave no more. But now are you, what the thing said? In verse 18, what, what is it? Having been set what? Anybody, you got that? Make sure my Bible ain't making no noise. What you all say? You know, I always pick on you every time you come. What you all Verse 18. 
You have been what? Read for me one more time. Mine said a similar thing. Haven't been set free. So yours set free too. That's NIV? NIV set free. I got this. This ain't my preaching Bible here. It's King James. It set free. What yours say? What you got? Okay. So all these things set free. So you free from sin. Now what does it mean to be free? Do we really believe this? I'm going to make it a little more complex with you. Now if you get deep and you really want to study this thing, you look behind the Greek on this word. This word here, free, ain't the same word Jesus used to say free. This word free actually means to be justified. It means to be declared to be guilt free. Declared to be righteous. That's what he means right here. This is a legal term. Now this is what the theologians trick people at. But for some strange reason I don't see them play their game with this one. Because it don't say righteous. It says you have been made free. And that free means you have been declared righteous. You have been justified from sin. So there's some power, some condemnation that sin had on you and now you've been justified. So let's think about this thing. So sin has the ability to condemn. So let's say I I, I did some stuff very bad and very wrong. I treated people very low down in my past. I changed my ways because I've been changed and I'm a brand new man, so I'm living a different way. But my relationship with these people have been so distorted that every time I see them, every time I think about it, guilt and condemnation come over me. I can't escape it. I can't shake it. It's just this condemnation that I get. If this be true, you ain't got to live like that. Because the Bible declares you to be guilt free. So all the wrong that you have done in sin, the power of guilt and the power of condemnation that sin has over you, you've been declared righteous. You've been set free, not guilty. That John P. Key used to say. Sin got no more power of you. So when you get those thoughts of guilt and condemnation, not guilty. When people try to bring up your past and all that stuff, yes, I did it. But now, I'm not guilty. I've been declared righteous. Sin ain't, can't do that to me no more. But the struggle becomes, do we believe the Bible? Because the concept of being forgiven and the concept of being liberated are two completely different things. Because we can forgive somebody, but that don't liberate them from the guilt that they have for doing what they did. And I can believe that Christ has forgiven me for my wrong, but that does not alleviate the guilt that I have within for the wrong that I've done. And there's people who live in, they set free and they believe in Jesus and they got confessions and, and they're actually living a pretty decent life. But deep down in their heart, they're struggling with guilt and condemnation. You know what I'm saying? And they can quote the Bible. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it don't mean nothing to them because they still feel it. When the Bible be true, you have been set free. 
No more condemnation. You have been declared righteous. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So we've been dead to sin. We've been set free from sin in the sense of not longer guilty of sin anymore. We're going to get one more out of this. We're going to move on. Go to verse 20. So for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves from God, you have your fruit to holiness in the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you were free from righteousness. Now you're free from sin. Now that free right there is the same free that we used to. To the fact where the son has set us free, we are free indeed. So we've been dead to sin. We've been declared guilt free from sin. And we have been liberated from sin. That's what we are. If you believe in Jesus, if you have made a confession of Christ and you place your faith with him, you are dead to sin. The relationship ain't the same no more. You have been declared guilt free from the condemnation of sin. And you have been liberated from the power of sin. It ain't the same no more. Y'all understand that. The question is, do we believe the Bible? Now we're going to get a little deeper. We get a little more emotional. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And for my people with true emotional hurt, this one here going to challenge you a little bit. Do you really believe the Bible? Let's start in verse 11. It said, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is deep right here. And what he's doing is he's contrasting the old way of salvation and the old way of forgiveness with this new way through Jesus Christ. So the picture of contrast is this. Back in the old days, when God liberated his people from bondage and brought them into the promised land, he gave them a system of sacrifices. They had to kill bulls, lambs, rams, goats, and all this stuff for sin offering. So the way it goes, if there's some unclean in Mr. Aaron, whatever it is that makes him unclean, present himself to the priest, he bring his offering, Sprinkle the blood. Depends on what type of offering it is. Sometimes they'll sprinkle it on him. Boom. He clean. He liberated. He can go back and be a part of the family now. And they did this with most things that defile. In the contrast that the Hebrew writer is making, if that can make his body clean. So Eric can have some defilement in his body. Bring a sacrifice. Be declared clean by the priest. And this offering gave him the right and the liberty to go back into the camp because his body is clean. We have a greater sacrifice than a bull and a, and a goat. And this was the sacrifice of the eternal son of God, Jesus Christ. So since a lamb, a ram, a bull, or a goat can make your body clean, what can the blood of Jesus Christ do? And what he's saying is it can purify your consciousness from dead works. That's deep. 
purify your conscience from dead works. So the evil, the the dead, the futile things that you once participated in, the blood of Jesus Christ has the power to purify your mind, to purify your knowing, to purify your inner being from the very results and the corruption that came through those works that you participated in. So let's take our young man who has been defiled, who has been corrupted. His heart don't quite work the same no more. He can get saved and he can get him a wife, but the images still be in his mind. If the Bible be true, Jesus has the ability to take that away from you. Purify your conscience from it. So whatever it is that has happened to you, however it is that you have been hurt, if you believe the Bible, if you submit yourself to Jesus, he has the ability to purify your mind from that. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Do we believe it? That when you're in those times where you're by yourself and your heart is hurting and the enemy is throwing up all them doubts in your mind about how this happened to you because you was this and this happened to you because you was this and you went through this because don't nobody care about you and you'll never be free, you'll never be the same, you'll never be whole. Can you really believe that, God, you can cleanse me? Man defiled me, but you can cleanse me. Life has messed me all up on the inside, but you can cleanse me and not just cleanse me in a theoretical sense so I can stand up in church and raise my hands, but clear cleanse me to the degree where inside I know I'm free, where the things that haunt me no longer haunt me anymore, where the things that trouble me now I can stand boldly and declare as a testimony because it ain't trauma no more. It don't terrorize me anymore. It don't produce fear and nightmares anymore. It don't bind me to I can't live and I don't know how to relate to people anymore because the word of God, through the power of God, the blood of Jesus can cleanse your very consciousness. Y'all, y'all, y'all hearing what the Bible say? It can cleanse your very consciousness. So when you saying, man, that's what I'm saying, I know I'm saved, but what you saved from? You saved from the power of sin. You saved from the defilement that happened to you. You saved from all of it. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe it? That your heart has been totally transformed. Not just in the way that you live, but in who you are. We need to believe the Bible. We need to put our trust in the truth of Jesus. But that's the hard part. That's where life gets a whole lot messed up. Because everything about our lives tell us that this stuff ain't true. How many times have you had people lay hands on you? And you get right back and you still trouble with them same thoughts. How many times have you done prayed and you didn't confess and you'd have been through the deliverance sessions and they had you spitting and coughing and knowing all that foolishness. And you get back up and you're struggling with them same thoughts. And I'm here to tell you, you don't, you, you don't need that junk. All you need to do is believe that God has done what he did. And I hate that church has done this to us. That they had created this buffer between me and freedom. What, what, what do you mean by that? Everybody ain't got this problem, but I went to a church. And in this church, there's this horrible doctrine. We talked a little bit about it on a Wednesday. 
that there's some things in my past, that there's some things in my history, we call them generational curses, these spiritual bondages, that, that has the ability to overpower what Christ has done. Nobody said it like that, but that's what they mean. And how do they mean that? Because I can confess, I can be saved, but you still got to go through deliverance to get all that other stuff. Because my great great granddaddy was a Hulu doctor, and it's something in me that I can't ever be free. That's a lie. I don't have to remember all the sins of my great 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 granduncle. I don't got to know all that junk. Saying, since my uncle was a bootlegger, my granny sold liquor, and my sisters are drunk. Do that mean I'm going to struggle with alcoholism all the days of my life? No. But this doctrine of deliverance, this doctrine that we got to go through, people got a different names, depending on what camp you come from, and that this is extra stuff that I can get saved, but I need to be set free. I'm here to tell you that once you are saved, you are set free. That salvation is deliverance. Salvation is healing. Salvation is restoration. That the blood of Jesus is sufficient for everything that you got going on inside of you. And you can say, I got mental problems. I struggle with anxiety. Jesus can heal that too. Whatever it is you got going on inside of you, you have been set free. Your very conscience can be cleansed. All you have to do is believe that this Bible is true. And please don't let them church folks trick you. Saying you ain't got to go in that dark room and you know I'm saying go through a card and have all them people praying over you and, and, and putting demons on you so they can take them out. You know what I'm saying I need to confess the fault. My uncle slapped two women. Uh, my, my granddad, <laughs> he was a mason. You know I'm saying his daddy who was a voodoo doctor. Oh, I don't need to remember all that stuff. It don't matter. Because once you're in Jesus, you are set free. So let's just say it was possible that I did have a stronghold because my great, 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 great grandmama was a witch doctor and she dedicated me to Satan. Let's just say it was true. And it put some spiritual power over me that wouldn't let me be free. Let's just say that was true. All that stuff did is make me a slave to sin, correct? All her curses did was make me dead to righteousness. But once I go down with Jesus, I'm raised in the what? Newness of life. So it ain't that dude who great-great-granddaughter dedicated him to say, that ain't that dude no more. I'm living a new life. And so the defilement and the corruption that may possibly have come from that, it gone now. I've been set free. I've been cleansed. Spiritually, physically, everything in it. <laughs> That's what we got. The question is, do you believe it? Do you really believe that? Do you think that Jesus can heal your emotional hurt? Do you believe that Jesus can overcome that lust that dwells inside of you? Do you believe that Jesus can take that line out your mouth? Do you believe that Jesus can keep you holy and righteous until the day that he give you a man or a husband? I mean a husband. Because you just be finding men on your own. 
said, <laughs> make sure I said that right. <laughs> Folk be twisting that thing. <laughs> he did the man Jesus. Nah, he ain't. <laughs> he can keep you right till he get you a husband. A real one. Not just any old dude, but one that match up to what he told you you're supposed to have. A man of God that can lead you and love you and, and care for you and guide you in the ways of righteousness. He can hold you until you get there. What you say, man, but I'm getting old. What if I ain't going to ever get there? And he can hold you till you get there. <laughs> I'm saying, you're going to get somewhere. He's going to hold you till you get there. Because he has that power. He has that ability, but do we believe it? One last one. I'm going to let y'all go. Because Jesus, through his power, we're dead to sin. That means the relationship has changed. We ain't got no more power over me. That I've been set free in the sense of being declared righteousness from the guilt of sin. That means it can't condemn me no more. That I've been liberated from sin. That means I can live without it. I can go on. I'm on my own. And my very consciousness can be cleansed of all the dead works that I have done. That means emotionally I can be transformed and purified to the degree that it don't hunt me no more. So if all that is true, go to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let's start at uh, verse 18. 1 John chapter 5 verse 18. And said, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin but he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him and we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one and we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ this is the true God in eternal life little children keep yourself from idols amen this is is a beautiful ending to this book but this opened up with a very difficult passage. It said, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. This is a declaration. John is telling us something about people who are born again. And his declaration is, they don't sin. You'd be like, hold up, preach. That's not possible. Do we believe the Bible? Because if we truly been made dead to sin, relationship has changed. We truly have been freed from the guilt. We are righteous. We truly have been liberated from his power and it don't please us no more. We set free. And our very conscience has been transformed and cleansed. Why should we live any longer therein? What excuse do we have? Why can't these words be true for me? If John can be confident enough to say them and put them in record and it been holding on for almost 2,000 years and John ain't being embarrassed by this. John ain't write this thing and be like, hold up. I'm saying that was personal for myself. I ain't mean to put that on the paper. Like, I ain't know y'all gonna read this. I was just right. <laughs> I'm saying it was my journal. John, we ain't got no record of John saying anything like that. As a matter of fact, to even get deeper, John said it about four times throughout this whole book. So that means he must have really thought it was true. He started in chapter 2 and told you that. The reason I wrote these things to you is so that you won't sin. Now hold up, John. 
You mean that you think you got the power to write some stories on a piece of paper that going to keep me from sinning? John thought it. Then he follows it up in chapter 3 and tells you that the Son of God was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. What did the devil do? He brought death, chaos, corruption, and sin on this planet. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Savior, came down on this planet to get rid of it. So if his, the purpose of his, him being manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. And he lived in me. How many of the works of the devil should be manifest in me? None. But like I said, I want you to go deeper than just these actions that we do. I'm talking about your heart. Because we can easily struggle with it and, and, and get our mind right till we think we can live a little bit better than what we're supposed to. But we still have emotional pain and we still have things that trouble our mind. We still have guilt and condemnation and trauma that, that just colors the whole way we see the world. That's part of the works of the devil Jesus came to destroy. The Son of God came to set you free indeed. So if you're living differently but your heart messed up, you ain't free indeed. If you can't go to sleep without thinking about what happened to you, you ain't free indeed. If you can't see your cousin, uncle, or whoever without remembering what you did to them, you ain't free indeed. You need to be completely free, but that's what Jesus came to do. And a part of this destroying the works of the devil, he told you that those who are in Christ, we can live like Jesus lived. That's what he told us in chapter 4. And now we get over here in chapter 5 and he's summing this whole book up and he said, whoever is born of God does not sin. That's what he's preaching. That's what he's declaring. Do we believe it? I'm saying we, we can wrestle it in our mind. I'm saying, you know what I'm saying? What he means is continue to live in. Like they don't be doing it all the time. It's like we're supposed to be Allen Iverson Christians. What you mean by that, priest? We don't practice sin. <laughs> we don't practice it what is practice I mean it's something you do all the time if I do it once a year is that continual I don't know but if I believe the Bible and the words of God is true and what he declared about me and my relationship to sin I believe I can do it all the way I'm just dumb enough to believe what he wrote are, y are you with me but watch how you wrap this thing up now Said, but he who has been born of God, do what? Keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. The wicked one does not touch him. Because there's some folks out there, I'll tell you, there's a real devil out there. And especially in the, in the charismatic world, in the church, when you go with the, with the vast majority of people dark skinned, they tell you about the devil. You know what I'm saying? I be used to hear them testimony service. Like, man, the devil been real busy this week. The devil put bunions on people's feet. Everything. <laughs> the devil just does it all. We don't even get deep into that. It don't matter what he's doing. If you are born of God, you have the ability to keep him from doing what? Touching you. So we ain't got to debate about whether Christian be oppressed, depressed, or any other other stuff. It don't matter. If you're born of God, you can keep him from doing what? Touching you. He can't even get close to you. Like I said, when I was young, my dad used to walk in the room sometimes. He loved Muhammad Ali. So he'd come in there and quote Muhammad. And he'd stand up 
And he just get me. And my son hit me. And I be like, Dad, man, everybody got time with his dad. Everybody, you know, hit me. So I square up with him. Swing. Myth. Then I get a little frustrated. Oh, okay, Dad, you want to play for real. All right. You know what I'm saying? I get it. And I just swing. He would never hit, but I could never touch him. I'm like, how in the world this 17-year-old man, boy, can't hit this 40-year-old man? But I could not touch him. And the amazing thing is, he had the confidence that no matter what I did, I wasn't going to touch him. He put his hand behind his back. He come start the fight. So I be in there chilling. And he'll dare me, son. Hit me. And that picture should be the picture that we have of ourselves. That you have the ability to stand anywhere, any place, and go up against anything and dare the devil to touch you. He can't. That when you got something challenging you, coming up against you, you can, Dad, touch me. Because if my daddy can do it, 40-some-year-old man with a 17-year-old kid, you can do it. Because you got an eternal God against a little bit of the old devil. The Bible said that when we see him, that we're going to mock and say, is this he who has troubled the world? Like You're going to look in confusion. Like, this the dude? <laughs> the what everybody was scared of? The greatest one is inside of you. And he has the ability to destroy him anytime he wants to. And God got that confidence. And notice how he wrapped it. Those who were born of God can keep what? Himself. Now hold up. It's all about faith. And it's all about belief in Jesus. That's true. But Jesus put power where? In you. Jesus put some power in you. So he transferred his power inside of you so that the things that he did on this planet you can do. So you can stand up and tell sin, hit me. Touch me. You win if you can even get close to me. Because that's the way my dad did it. If I can get a fingernail on him, I won the fight. But I couldn't. And the amazing thing I want to point out is that confidence we need to have that same confidence when it comes to life. When wickedness rises within us, when our minds get to doubt, we can stand up and say, I can't be touched. And he tell you in the end, why is that? Because we know that we are of God. The whole world lies in wickedness and is under the sway of the wicked one. But that ain't us. We are of God. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him. And this is the true God in eternal life, even Jesus Christ our Lord. In the end of Romans 6, it said, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Christ is that eternal life. And we have that eternal life living and dwelling inside of us. We ain't hoping to get it one day. We already got it. And it's Jesus Christ living inside of you. And that same Jesus Christ that defeated death, sin, and the grave dwells in you and he can still do it again. But do it through you. Do we got any questions? So in terms of deliverance, um, like I know we're called to cast out demons and stuff like that. So you talked a little bit about um, 
the experiences at some churches where it's like you got to get cleansed from all of this stuff. What is the difference in perspective as it relates to what we've been called to do in terms of casting out demons, what that looks like versus, I guess. Okay, that's a good question. Because the classic teaching on the deliverance ministry is that this thing they call deliverance, uh, whatever word, depending on what camp you go in, is the quote-unquote children's bread. And what they mean by that is this thing is, is for Christians. So you have to have been saved and you have to believe in Jesus. Then you go through this deliverance process or supposed to complete your deliverance and your sanctification. But <clears throat> the way they teach it is it begins with you confessing Jesus and being a believer. And then we go through all these other things to get all the devils all the way out. And what I'm saying is if you can make it to Jesus, you don't need none of the other stuff because Jesus can do any and everything any man with the power to cast out a demon can do. But there are people who have been filled with a demon who has been overtaken by an evil spirit that can't make it to Jesus. And so it is our job to liberate those people from that power so that they can make it to Jesus. That's the difference. So we're trying to set people free so they can get to Jesus. The deliverance ministry is saying you already had Jesus, so now we're trying to complete what Jesus started. That's the, that makes a little sense to you. Mm-hmm. Now, so we do deliver people from demons and power overtake people, but usually those power overtake people, they can't make it to Jesus. Saying it's like the man and his son. Hey, this dude, he's throwing himself in the fire. He's trying to kill himself. I, the daddy had to bring him to the disciples. The man ain't asking for nothing. He couldn't. He was under the power of the devil. So Jesus had to set him free and put him in his right mind. Now he can understand. Now we can hear the gospel. Now we can be set free. And that's what we're trying to do. It makes sense to you. The second question was related to um, guilt consciousness. Like I've seen some Christian folks, especially in a lot of churches where a lot of people are mean mm-hmm. and they treat people mean. And like I've heard people kind of talk about the fact that they're here, like in terms of, um, like they basically don't have to do nothing with that meanness because they are cleansed from sin consciousness and like whatever you see of them that's just them like how do you like if 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 let's say you have the guilt like and it's relational like you actually hurt somebody and you get saved are you are you then not charged with correcting like com- like relational issues? issues. Does that make sense? Very good question. Jesus makes the statement that when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that your brother has ought against you, you go to your brother and make that relationship right. Then bring your gift. And his principle is, is that when there's a rub in the relationship, it is our responsibility because we are peacemakers to do everything we can do to make that relationship right before we get to banging and talking about we loving and worshiping God. So we do have responsibility. Romans tell us as much as it has to do with you, live at peace with all men. So we go to the farthest extent as we can go to repair broken relationships because that's our responsibility. We love people and even John and, and, and Jesus when they're preaching about repentance, they say you need to bring fruit, meat for repentance. So I can't say I repented of the evil I did with you, if I'm not willing to come to you and say, hey, I messed up, I'm sorry, how can I make it right? 
I'm just deluding myself and trying to get away from the guilt. I'm pulling the saw. So that we do have responsibility to repair relationships. Now, the key concept, I like the way Paul expressed it, as much as it has to do with you, live at peace with all men. So there's a degree that I can go to where I have exhausted all my means to make good with you. Now it's at that point where it's just me and God and I can do do nothing but pray to you and hope that God brings reparation to the relationship because I am the Lord's free man. I'm no longer bound to you. You understand what I'm saying? So if you want to hold it over my head and, and, and beat me down and, and just ridicule me and every time something halfway look wrong you want to throw it in my face and, and I'm just your servant for the rest of my life, that's not righteous either. So there's the level to where I'm willing to do that out of love and out of devotion to repair the relationship. But there's also a level where I cannot be bogged down and allow you to, to, to keep me in a place of guilt. To where you make me doubt what Jesus has done in my heart. Like, man, you ain't saying, you ain't do, you just doing that church talk because such, 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 such. I know who you really is. <laughs> I mean, you, you, sometimes you have people like that because we, we got relationships and stuff get messed up. And so when it gets to that level, you step back, but you don't sever. You do what you can to keep the peace. You keep communication open, but to a certain level, I can't do nothing but pray for you because I'm done all I can do and you won't let me do anything because now you're just mad and you're just angry and ain't nothing I can do to bring peace. It, that makes a little sense to you. But yes, we should be. There should be no such thing as a mean Christian. That's an oxymoron. Because we mean people of peace and love. <laughs> I said the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Peace and joy, but I'm mean. That don't make no sense. <laughs> um, When you say cast out, what does cast out mean? Cast out? Like when you ride in the car and you were eating that chicken because mama ain't give you enough chance to to finish it. And then you roll down the wonder and you throw it out the wonder. You casting it out the wonder. What does impulsive mean? Impulsive. Girl, you deep saying them deep words. Impulsive means something inside of you that pulls you to do something without even thinking about it. So it's like a reaction. You just feel it. Like sometimes you just have to knock your brother across the head. <laughs> Man, you just can't help it. It's an impulse. It's something going on inside of you. What is a proverb? A proverb is a wise saying that teaches you something. That's usually in a short couple of sentences or so. What is a conclusion? A conclusion? It's when you thought about something and it's the end result. So it's like the answer in the math. So when you're talking about when they cast demons on you to cast them out, mm -hmm. like what did you mean? Like, well, oh, that's a very good question. Very observed. Because in this thing they call deliverance ministry in some churches, what they do is they'll bring you to a room and they'll tell you you have to remember all your old sins, if you was in a fraternity and any of that stuff, and you had to bring up all your past, and you just had to bring it all back up. And that's what I meant by they putting demons on you to cast them out. Because what they end up doing is calling all of those things a spirit. So you say, well, if I was, when I was in college, I used to steal. So they say you got the spirit of stealing. 
And they write that one down. And you say, well, I had about two, three boyfriends. So you got the spirit of a Jezebel, the spirit of lust. And you got the spirit of lying. And since your uncle was a mason, you got the spirit of witchcraft. And they just bring and name all these spirits they tell you you got at the end of this little assessment. And then they're going to start praying for you after you confess that you got all them spirits. So because of your past, they're going to tell you what demons you have? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know whether this is related to the, the lesson or not, but some people have problems with with their past, like, like music. Mm-hmm. It's certain music that I really like. And I liked a long time ago. <laughs> Some of y'all ain't there too. Um, what I, I mean, what would we call that when, like, if I go in the restaurant and they're playing it, my feet get to moving. Sometimes I sang the lyrics. Cause I remember we was in one restaurant and one of the girls said, Grandma, you know that? I said, yeah. And I just went to sing. <laughs> now, how do, I mean, why do we, relate to that as you know past sins or what because I know some of y'all in here no, do that tell them get that music <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very good question and <clears throat> it goes to a couple of different layers because like I was just thinking about giving a minimal example then I go all the way there was this young lady that I was counseling with and she had problems where she got unsatisfied in her singleness with Christ. And she started looking for a man. And I noticed something. That <clears throat> every time she showed up, get a struggle. And it gets so enough strong. She would listen to Christian music. She wouldn't listen to nothing but Christian music. But her favorite group was the Old Commission. And the Old Commission sounds just like the 80s and 90s R&B music. It's the exact same thing. And so uh, talking, we getting in and I'm like, hold on. You probably need to get you some new songs. (laughs) Because the memory for her took her back to when she was in high school, in junior high school, listening to Ari Kelly and all that other, because it sounded the same. So to her, it wasn't no different between Johnny Gill and Commission. (laughs) It's the same song. So it produced thoughts and influences in her heart that took her back to that. So even though they were talking about Jesus, she wasn't hearing Jesus. <laughs> and so, and it goes to the same thing with the, the other things. Some of it is just a trigger that we have memories that is embedded in us. But it's when those thoughts come in, what we do with them. Because sometimes our delight in those things are unrighteous. Because there are certain Things, especially with music, it has the power to capture a memory. So sometimes when you hear, pew, 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 it takes you to a moment. <laughs> it's more than just a song at that time. It, it takes you to a moment. And you begin to delight in that moment, not the song. Now in that, that is pure and 100% evil. But <laughs> if you have the ability to remember that, oh, that's just what we used to lose to do, and just tab it and cast it on and keep it moving, that's a different thing. Because like I said, there's sometimes we, our minds are great and God made this thing exceptional. Well, we remember stuff we don't even realize we remember it. And they got this deep thing. You want to get deep, they call it reticular activating system. It's a thing in the back of your brain. Where it brings up something. It triggers something. So if you hear it and it triggers that, okay, I know that song. And you be like, man, I didn't even realize I still knew that song. And it's just over that and you keep it kicking. That's one level. 
But if you hit it and you taking delight in all this stuff that you claim you ain't with no more, then that's something you and God have to bang out. Cause like I said, sometimes that pew, 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 that thing that mess whole worlds up. Broke up homes and everything. <laughs> that one look good top. <laughs> yeah, but that's something we have to wrestle with God with because a lot of those things we shouldn't be delighting in because it's everything that our daddy said he hate, but then we enjoy it. So <clears throat> that makes a little sense. Your mama said, you better ask no other question. <laughs> I know I just asked the question. That's fine. But you need to explain to your mama. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're talking about how the church, how they tell you have, how you have to remember your past, mm-hmm. and it's like a different thing. When Jesus, I don't know how to explain it, but I remember what you said. So is it like bad when the church tells you to remember your past? Yes. It's bad when they tell you you have to remember it in order to be free. Because what they're saying is Jesus by himself can't free you. So that's what makes it bad. Because they're telling you you got to do something extra that what Jesus did ain't enough. So now you need our help to get all the way free. And that's bad. Because Jesus' power is more than enough to set us free from everything we need. So they're saying that Jesus is not strong enough to um, deliver you and that they're stronger than him and they can deliver you? That's what they're saying. They ain't going to say that, but that's what they mean by what. (laughs) (laughs) That's the meaning. Now, that's the conclusion that they get, uh, that you get from it when you take it all the way out to his end. That they stronger than Jesus. Or Jesus gave them some work to do that extra than what he did. But Jesus is all you need. Okay, I'm not confused. Thank you. I got to ask a question. You're not see the I'm not going to. So you I'm ready sorry, to force at that, baby. But yeah, because she's bringing up something that's, uh, that's about to block something that I'm about to do. Uh-oh. So. Good job, girl. Because I'm just going to be real with y'all. You know, we're all here. We're human. I'm struggling with some things. And mm-hmm. I did see a, another pastor's wife. I've known her for years. Mm-hmm. And we did some counseling. It was great. And she said, you probably need to come back so we can do some deliverance. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that's not correct? Because, you know. I mean, I've asked for forgiveness. I've prayed. I am a believer. Um, but I, I am struggling with some things, and that's what she, that was her recommendation. So from, from what you're saying today, that may not, you saying that may not be right? Is that, I mean, am I making any sense to you? You're making a whole whole lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> so the, the question to come to wrestle with, the question that you have to wrestle with is, why do she need believe that you need to be del- this extra deliverance, what does she mean by it? And is this something that my faith in Jesus Christ alone can take care of? Because if she's saying that this extra deliverance something going to give you some extra power, I begin to question that. Because if the Bible be true, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient for whatever it is we're going through. And if the Bible be true, the grace of God is sufficient for whatever it is we're going through. And the problem that I have with the deliverance ministry is is that it decreases my faith in that. Because now when I find myself in a struggle, I'm trying to figure out why. 
we're going on. I can't see why I can't overcome this. And when they talk to me and they counsel me, what they're telling me is that what you got is real. And the grace and the spirit you got ain't strong enough to handle it. That there really is something wrong with you, but we can fix it. That your grace ain't enough. But what Paul said was his grace is sufficient because his strength is made perfect in my weakness. So if I truly got something inside of me that I'm really struggling with. If Paul's words be true, the moment you realize that you should start shouting. Just like that. Like once you realize, man, this thing in me, I can't shake it. I can't overcome. Just, 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 just get to doing an old church shout. Because now you get access to more grace. You understand what I'm saying? God got more grace for you now because he's saying his grace is made perfect through your weakness. So he pour out the more grace, the weaker you are. So if you're real weak, you got super grace. And you can think about it like with the kids, helping dad to bring the groceries in the house. He had to help her before he helped him because he's stronger than she is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So when she carrying the groceries and she said, Daddy, can I help you? He's standing down there. He carrying most of the weight. All her hands is just on it because she need more help. Now, when he carrying them, Daddy just walk on off and leave him because he should be able to carry all that stuff by himself. <laughs> but the weaker you are, the more God is invested in you. That's what we, we mean when he said that what sin abound, grace do much more abound. So if you got this struggle in you, look to, to him more. And now you cry out to him more. Like David said in Psalm 119, I cry out, I call out to you, Lord, because now I need more grace. And that's my pro trouble, trouble with the deliverance ministry. Because now every time I go through a strong time, I probably need some deliverance. And I never learn how to rely on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust him that his work is sufficient for me. Because they're going to take you in there, they're going to pray for you, they're going to lay hands on you. They have done that stuff before. You done had folks lay hands on you before. You done been through it before. It still ain't working. But what we ain't done is completely surrender to Jesus and trust him to be sufficient enough to have. We ain't tried that one yet. <laughs> Anybody else? See, now you can stir it up something else. Um, when I rededicated, well, I maybe need to say dedicated my life to the Lord. Seriously, I was about 24. Um and really um, asked the Lord to really just change my heart. Like I knew I needed a heart change because I was wrestling with stuff. Part of that was I watched No More Sheets. Okay. And <laughs> um, and it, it was just like a crying and screaming out session. Like, so when you look at something like that, and this was, you know, just me in a room, you know, is that was that not like what are you saying <laughs> when when you talk about deliverance or like when you get saved if does he ever lead you to that does that surrender ever lead you all a deliverance session what you talking about is something slightly different okay and it's something that i encourage people to do all the time people you think i'm crazy because i'm usually a calm quiet more laid back guy 
But then sometimes I talk to Paul and say, hey, man, you need to cry. You need to call out. So there's that sense of desperation in our pursuit of God that we can't be ashamed to just, I ain't got nothing else but you. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying, God, if you don't change me, I'll never be changed. And that's just you pouring out your heart to God. Like so, we, we taught a whole lesson on it about crying out to the Lord. It's over and over again. The Bible tells us to cry out to the Lord, call upon the Lord. So is that just opening up your voice and just, I ain't got nothing else, God. If you don't do it, then it ain't going to ever be done. That's different than trying to calculate and remember everything that ever happened to me and thinking that because 20 years ago, um, I found a hustler magazine that now I'm going to be a slave to the, the spirit of masturbation. And unless they pray for me, then I ain't going to ever get it off, off of me. You see, that, that's the difference between me being convicted and realizing something in my own heart and just li- lifting up my voice and crying out to God to change me. Now, would you might get the snotting and, and crying? And, that's very possible that it may happen. You know what I'm saying? So it, on the external, it might look the same. It might look like, it might look like that. But it ain't because I done sat down here and remembered every single thing in my past and now I got this list and somebody got to pray over all these spirits that's on me. Mama finna thump your hand. <laughs> Not in front of everybody. Wait till we get in the car. <laughs> so when I asked you the other two questions, so you're saying that it's like wrong to go to a church for extra deliverance? I'm saying you don't have to do that. It's not necessary. So you shouldn't take advice from someone who's done that? You can take advice from anybody as long as they get it from the Bible. So if 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 they're telling you what is in the Bible and what is truth, yes, you can take advice from them. But if that's all they have to offer you is this extra something, I'll be weary of that. But listening to them, yeah, I listen. You can listen to them. Balaam learned from a donkey. So. If somebody's like, if they like know your past and they're like, oh, you should go to church for extra deliverance because you have this one, you have that one, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. You tell you a lie. Jesus took all that off of me. <laughs> I ain't got nothing on me. I got Jesus on me. But it's the way you process and understand your struggles. And sometimes, like I said, we talked about that a little bit last week, that we need one another in those struggles, that we should confess our faults one to another. But the end result is always Jesus and Jesus alone. And that we press, we, we process our struggles through Jesus and Jesus alone. And what, the, what we get in trouble is, is that we process our struggles as in a reality of who I am and it's something that a power no, sometimes it's just a struggle. Sometimes it's a manifestation of a weakness. That's why Paul said he glory in his infirmities, not his iniquities. And sometimes people conflate the two. So because I have a struggle, there's a weakness in me. There's a weakness in my personality that just make me susceptible to certain things. Like I said, I'm, I'm naturally a shy person. So that's a weakness of my personality. 
that I can be in the midst of a room and disappear. That's, that's just the way I am. And so there's times where I have to rely on the strength of the Lord to do a lot of stuff he told me to do because naturally it don't come natural for me. It, it just it just doesn't happen. So speaking to people and talking to people, that's a struggle for me. And it's, it takes the grace of Jesus to overcome that struggle. But that same struggle can be for you can stretch it out to any other thing. So we process our struggles in the sense of it's our weaknesses and it's our infirmities. And sometimes it's just temptation. But we have to process that through the grace and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it is he has done. And that's where the real struggle takes place between me believing my weakness and me believing the truth about my new identity. It makes a little sense to you. Yeah, but sometimes you get real, real weak. The Bible says, confess your faults one to another. And sometimes it takes that outside person to tell you, hey, you all right? That ain't nothing wrong with you. That you ain't failed. All you did is you got some weakness and the devil just trying to take advantage of that. You ain't doing nothing wrong. Let's believe in Jesus and let's seek God and let's pray. But the end result should always be Jesus. Is rain a part of the fall? Is rain a part of the fall? Some people believe so, but we can't concretely say so. Like I said, they say as in the days of Noah, that was the first time it rained. But 100% being able to say so, I can't. 